When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody back to the PHOY Sixers podcast. Derek Bonner joined by Rich Hoffman on our second post-game show here in the last 24 hours and the second loss we have to talk to you. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. Uh, the Sixers, not so much, though. Yeah, it has been. Look, we have not had a lot of practice talking about losses here. I think this is a little bit new for us. They did win eight in a row, but I feel like we've got our helpings worth here in the last 24 hours. And I think for the second game in a row probably the lead-in is going to be Joel Embiid yeah I, I think that's fair although the Sixers look there there are plenty of other areas we can get to you know Nick Nurse not playing Jaden Springer playing some other players who will get to um the you know the strange kind of bench uh situation that we have going on right now but yeah I, I think it, it to me it boils down to Joel Embiid was not good enough tonight. And you know what? I, I thought in last night's game, okay, you know, like bad closing stretch. They they ran you. Um, you know, he was terrible against Al Horford, and it was the classic shorthanded Boston win where Al Horford is outplaying Joel Embiid, just yeah. straight up outplayed him, that makes you feel as bad as possible. There was a game last season in Boston that was very similar. So I'm not going to say – the Sixers can't compete with this team in the playoffs. Like I think last year went to show that even though they had that poor loss in the regular season, it didn't exactly matter for uh I think I think over the last like four years or so, they are about five hundred against this team in the regular season. Doesn't feel we, like it. it. It doesn't feel like it because the playoff success has not been five hundred. But it does go to show you that even if they lose a game, you know, it feels like these these uh, regular season games are a lose-lose for the Sixers uh, against the Celtics specifically because if you beat the Celtics, oh, it doesn't matter. They're just going to lose in the playoffs anyway. But if you lose the Celtics, that same logic doesn't apply. It is, oh, man, this is a, a proof that they cannot beat this team. Uh, so these games have a little extra importance. It is a bit of a lose-lose. I will say this was a pretty tough scheduling uh, situation for the Sixers. Having a in-season tournament game, the night before against a fast-paced Pacers team to then come back and have a back-to-back with a a game against the Celtics on national TV, so it's a little tougher to rest your guys. It is a tough, like I said, spot for them to be in. I do think there was some tired legs. I think that certainly played a part in it. I do think Joel Embiid with the left hip soreness, I think that is a real injury that is slowing him down a little bit. That being said, none of them, neither of that truly, you know, sort of explains some of the mental mistakes and the lack of engagement that we saw down the stretch, it was, again, very frustrating. 
led by Joel Embiid, led a little bit by Nick Nurse, not overcome at all by Tyrese Maxey, who had one of his, maybe his only real bad game of the season. Just a, a really tough performance. So, so what did you make? You know, the Celtics double teamed him a little bit, but I look at the stat sheet and Joel Embiid has seven assists to two turnovers. And that is not the normal last season Boston game. Like yeah. that last season in the playoffs, Boston is like three assists, six turnovers yeah. is kind of how I remember it. Um, to me, he just did not score as efficiently against Al Horford one-on-one no. as he probably should have. Like there was the game at the end of last season. I think he went 20 of 25 from the field for 52 points. And at that point, I think I said, I was like, okay, it seems like Al Horford is, you know, those demons are past him. Well, no, because, you know, Al Horford, of course, he makes every three on the other end. Some of those are Joel's fault. Some of those are the defense's fault because Joel has to help because of penetration. But yeah, I mean, it was just really bad, man. And it's it's this very weird situation where for all of Embiid's career, it, it was the Sixer starters, they're going to be fine, right? They're, they're going to outscore teams by a ton. The bench lineups with Embiid are going to be pretty good too. You, like, yeah. you could put Howell, Neto, you can put you know a bunch of different goofy configurations with Embiid bench lineups. It was the other minutes. It was the non-Embiid minutes. It's been that way for, for how long has Joel been going here? For seven years? No. Yeah. Um, right now it's the opposite. The Embiid bench lineups are a freaking disaster, yes. man. And I think a big part of that is that those lineups, generally speaking, are a disaster. Um, I mean, you look up and Maxi, you know, Maxi will be on the floor and he'll have like DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris and Paul Reed, who's at least a competent big man who I think fits his game a little bit. You look up when Joel's on the floor without Maxi, and it's like you've got Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris Sr., and I have no idea why Nick Nurse went back to Marcus Morris in the second half after Morris was unplayable so in the first um, half. It was a Marcus real Morris. bad coaching decision. But there's just – you look at some of these these lineups on the floor with them, and I saw I, – I, I apologize for not maybe giving them credit. Somebody on Twitter compared P.J. Tucker – or um, Pat Beverly to the point guard version of P.J. Tucker, and oh, man, is there a lot of truth to that. And I think Patrick has been pretty good defensively at times throughout the season, certainly for his age. But when you have just that little shot creation, uh, you know, Marcus Morris and Patrick Beverly are coming up a foot short on some of these three-point attempts when they're wide open. They're just giving you complete zeros on offense. It was those lineups were maddening. And I don't think that excuses Joel Embiid. It is amazing to watch him go up against Al Horford. And like you mentioned, Two years ago, I thought he was over his Al Horford demons. I thought maybe that time they spent together, Al aging, um, you know, maybe Al spending that year in OKC and having that year off might have done him some good. But he comes back in now, and Al is every time Joel's going up for that turnaround, he's got that time perfectly. He's ripping down, stripping the ball from him, contesting the shot if he doesn't. He has really, really played him tough. And it is just maddening. Like if you talk about just players who. Nothing, not, not a bad guy, not a bad person, no off-the-field legal incidents. Al Horford is as frustrating as it comes. As frustrating, insanely. And Derek White is quickly moving up those charts. Uh, Money Mar in the chat said that Embiid <sighs> can't do it all. No, you know what, though? Tonight, you it was done on something. him. He could have yeah. done more. And the the non-Embiid lineups with basically Jaden Springer, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, Paul Reed, and then another... Um, you know, another wing, they were actually really good tonight. They're the only reason the Sixers were in this game. And, you know, I just think Embiid, especially when you have those backup units, 
he's just got to go to work on Al Horford. Like he's just got to put fouls on him, man. He's got to be yeah. aggressive. And it's just, it's just so frustrating. I mean, Al Horford is an all time Philadelphia sports villain, villain all time. But you know, the guy killed the Sixers kind of toward what we thought was the tail end of his prime. So much so that the Sixers said, you know, what? we're going to sign you to get you the hell out of our way. <laughs> he plays awful here. My, Mike O'Connor, our former colleague always says on Twitter, they were benching him for Furkan yeah. Korkmaz that year, and they were, and it was real. He was terrible. And now we're on, what, three more years in Boston where he has played really, really good basketball, and he just seems to relish absolutely killing the Sixers. It is, uh, it's really unlike anything I've seen following this team. Al Horford, 37 years old, came into the game averaging 4.9 points and shooting 23% from three. He played so good tonight. And he is the story of the game. It only happens against the Sixers. It's amazing. And I think we're going to have another, you know, last night there was a little bit of a war going on in the chat. People who are, oh, this is all Embiid's fault or you can't win with Embiid. And then you got the other end of the spectrum, like how dare you criticize him. I think it's certainly valid to criticize him for his performance while also taking a step back and acknowledging, yes, they are eight and three. Yes, these two losses came on a tough back to back. I think you can maintain both perspectives. I know maybe the internet doesn't necessarily lend itself to that kind of nuance. He was not good enough tonight. There were probably reasons for it. I don't want to make a big overarching sweeping conclusion based off of one game's results, even if it is against a team that always knocks him out in the playoffs. Tough spot, but he didn't overcome it. No, and I definitely think fatigue was an issue. I Huge guess. issue. And I th- again, I think that hip is real. And quite frankly, I think if this probably wasn't a national TV game against Boston, I don't think he plays today. I mean, I, I think in retrospect, the Sixers probably wish that they, they sat him. Um, yeah. Because he just, he was not... Good enough tonight. And yeah, look, it's only one regular season game. I think that's fair. Um, But man, it's like Boston has these games against them during the regular season that even if it's not always going to completely carry over to the playoffs, it just makes you feel bad. Like it just makes you feel really bad about the team um, and Embiid. Um, Can we talk about the, the lineup decisions? Because on the one hand, I think Nick Nurse is in a tough spot. You can agree with that. Because sure. You know, he has lost Kelly Oubre and Nick Batum for these these two games. We'll, we'll see how long they're without Batum. That said, Marcus Morris. Nick, what are we doing here? Yeah, no, he can't play. He can't, can't, play. He can't be on the court anymore. He's, he's, he's just a complete liability on both ends. Would rather see Korkmaz? Yep. Would rather see... Well, I mean, like, Korkmaz is kind of the further down the list. Let's go with the options I would rather see. Would certainly rather see Jane Springer. A hundred percent. I thought, honestly, that was my biggest. Okay. You came out and you used uh, Morris in the first quarter. Okay. That's a a bad call, but then he came out and Jaden Springer gave them an immediate lift in the second. I think right. Maybe his first play of first defensive possession had a pick six. Sure. He's making mistakes. Like he had a travel. I think he had a moving screen. He's going to have some turnovers. He's going to make mistakes. The way I sort of equated it on Twitter is it feels a lot like the um, Paul Reed versus DeAndre Jordan debate and by debate I'm mostly saying like between the media and the coaching staff but also on Twitter about which one do you play and it sort of seemed like from the coaching perspective it was well let's go with the veteran the guy who's been there who maybe knows what he's doing he's going to make fewer mistakes and everyone else is like well no give the young player a shot and my argument back then was the same as it is now yes Jaden Springer will make mistakes but two key things first of all you're 
a veteran option doesn't necessarily play like a veteran. He just plays like an old person, which means he moves slower without the benefits of decision-making. <laughs> that was very true with DeAndre Jordan. I think it's partially true here with Marcus Morris. It is. And also the young player that you have, he might make even he might make more mistakes. I'll concede there might be a chance, but he will at least put positive plays in a ledger book where Morris does not. And you saw that all game with Jaden. Pick sixes, rebounds that Morris he wasn't going to get. He ripped Tatum and dunked it on him yep. one play. That was terrific. It's very frustrating. One of my big complaints with coaches, and we mentioned this a little bit with Nick Nurse coming in the season that there's a lot of fans that I think felt like he was going to come in and play the young players. That has not historically been his MO. And I think he's leaning a little too much on old players. I don't even want to call them veterans. Cause like I said, Morris had a couple of really bad decisions too, including a real bad pass, real lazy pass that drew holiday picked off. He leans on veterans more than he should. There was a stretch at the end of the first coming quarter. back in a third with Morris. Morris was just wild. It blew me away. I think my exact words were what the hell am I doing? Seeing Marcus Morris on my TV again. They were his exact words, so I can uh, I can confirm that. Uh, there's a stretch at the end of the first quarter. Marcus Morris missed shot. Marcus Morris turnover. Pat Bev missed wide open three. Marcus Morris missed wide open three, and they missed by a mile on those plays. And Marcus Morris, as bad as the offense is, I think the defense is worse. Like he he comes back in in the third quarter, and on the first play, he gets blown by for a layup. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he cannot play. So the first option, Jaden Springer, and I think Derek said that perfectly. Yes, he's going to make mistakes. Trust me, I've been as hard on Jaden Springer's ball handling and kind of the lack of creation. It, it doesn't matter. He, he is better than Marcus Morris. So that's number one. Here's number two. Another thing that I've been pretty pessimistic on, but let's see it over Marcus Morris. Paul Reed at the four. Let's see it. Just try that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super high on that, but if it, my options are Marcus Morris and Paul Reed at the four, the hell do we got to lose? It's the same thing. Yep. Um, I'd rather see Corkmas. He I'll, might be able to make threes. Yeah. He can dribble. He can he can dribble. I will give him that. Yes. It's just I I know Nick Nurse is in a tough spot losing Batum and uh, and Ubre, but it's just uh, it's just tough, man. Um, yeah. So very very it, it legitimately blew my mind that I, I really thought after what Jane gave you in the second quarter we weren't going to have to talk about Marcus Morris here in the second half, but. One of the real times, maybe the first time this year, I went, Nick coached a bad game. And it wasn't just because of that decision, uh, but that certainly played a part because I feel like that was a pretty obvious one that he should have gone away from. What was Marcus Morris's um, plus minus there at the end of the night? So let's see. Pat Bev was minus 17 in 10 minutes. Morris was negative 16 and 8. And it's like... It was, pre- it was predictable is what's frustrating. Single game plus minus can be misleading. Yeah. I don't like leaning into it too much. I was in awe of how bad those guys were tonight. They were terrible. And I agree with you. Like, Pat Bev is on a different level than Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris just cannot play. Pat Bev has made some good plays at some times this year. Um, That said, like, Jaden Springer is the same size as him, roughly has the same skill set as him. I would rather see the kid play. And that's something I think we predicted a a few weeks ago. That's something that could annoy fans. Um, it certainly annoys me just just watching the game wants to see a little bit better basketball. Um, to your point on Nick, this is the first time all season I've also said, you know what, the offense and the defensive schemes, like I, I didn't feel like they're very connected uh, yeah. over these last two games. And I think the, the big thing that I would point out is that the Celtics shot 53s tonight, Derek. The Sixers yeah. shot 30, and they got up a bunch late. 
because yep. they were losing. Look, we, we talked about it last night. I'm not saying the Sixers need to be, um, you know, the Dallas Mavericks or Boston with this drive and kick kind of style, take a million threes. But they're not leveraging the three-point like line. I'd like more. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, we will get into that a little bit more here after the break. Before that, a quick word from a couple of our sponsors. As you can tell, you've got two completely chiseled high-level athletes sitting here. Uh, and as such, we want to tell you about our favorite recovery beverage, chocolate milk, brought to you by the Pennsylvania Dairy Farmers and Team Chocolate Milk. Now, that joke, if you're, if you're not watching, if you're an audio listener only, that joke might have fallen a little bit flat here. Trust me, I'm not delusional enough to say that with any real sincerity. But true athletes, professional and college athletes, have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for a long time. Chocolate milk provides high-quality protein for muscle repair, electrolytes for hydration, and calcium for strong bones. That's why studies consistently show that chocolate milk is an ideal sports recovery beverage. Whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym, a runaround boathouse row, or a bike ride on the Schuylkill Trail, chocolate milk is an ideal post-workout beverage. Taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero on your workout routine. Give your body what it needs to properly recover. What could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in Pennsylvania that also tastes great? Learn about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. In addition to that, you know, while I may not be a finely tuned and chiseled athlete, uh, I have been working to try to trim off some of those pesky few pounds, and in doing so, I've been using a store brand low-carb bread for years. And just put in order so I can transition away from that to Hero Bread, as not only do I find a better Hero Bread a better fit for my dietary needs, and they offer sliced bread, tortillas, burgers, and hot dog buns, and more delivered directly to your door. Enjoy all the taste without the guilt. The bread is fluffy, delicious, and flavorful, high in fiber, low on net carbs, with fewer calories than the leading national brand, and 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. And you can either place a one-off order or set up a subscription. So you can get Hero Bread delivered to your door every two weeks, every month, or whatever you need to make sure you're stocked up and ready to go. Right now, Hero Bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their first order. Just go to Hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on Hero Bread today. That's H-E-R-O.co to save 10% today. I, I think the good good job with the ad rate, as, as always, too. Got through it. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that bothers me about this game, too, is that the Celtics, when you take Jalen Brown and Porzingis out of the lineup, they play some bad guys. Like they, Have you seen how bad Peyton Pritchard has been for the yeah. most part this year? Luke Cornett is like, he's, he's a third center, but he's, he's okay. Sfima Kyluk played the night. Delano Banton played the night. Anyway, the, the Celtics have an awesome top six, but the problem is like... Yep. Once you get into that bench, there are players who um, who the Sixers can take advantage of. They're coming for Rich's bad takes. Huh? I said they're coming for your bad takes. There's Why? some sirens outside. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, not the first time. The um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think that it's dispiriting that the Sixers lose a couple of guys on the wing. Not their best two players, but they're worse than those Celtics players. Like, it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough look for this team. Um, and look. Second game of a back-to-back. I am not trying to overreact, but it, it was a frustrating game. No, look, if you told me that they were going to lose these two games and end up at 8-3 with no other context, you'd go like, all right, I get it. Like, there's ups and downs in the NBA season. Two games like this, especially when the first team on the first end of the back-to-back 
played at such a high pace and the second team was Boston Celtics, you'd go, all right, it makes sense. It's a thing you could see happening, you know, over the course of a long season. But I think what made this one frustrating is, you know, for Boston to come in here without Jalen Brown, without Chris Stapps Porzingis, with that short bench like you mentioned, you thought they had a chance to really overcome their back-to-back and how difficult of a spot that put them in. Boston does not have the depth to really be able to beat a high, um, you know, a, 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 another competitor when they're down two players like that. And yeah, the Sixers are down Ubre and Batum, but I mean, Jalen Brown and Chris Epps Porzingis, slightly more impactful, and Boston doesn't have the depth. And for the Sixers to lose this game, I mean, the Sixers lost this game for a bunch of reasons, but in part because those, those, those bench lineups with Embiid were so ineffective, it was very, very frustrating. Like, there were lineups where I thought Joel Embiid could have gone off uh, against that Celtics group, and they just couldn't find a way to get him the ball. When he did get the ball, Al Horford was standing him up. It was a real frustrating game in that regard. And, and people in the chat are talking about Embiid's defense tonight. There, there was a, a two-play um, sequence in the in the third quarter that I thought was bad. There was, you know, he was just kind of chilling on the, uh, on the, I think it was on the right wing, and Joel just let Derek White screen him and, and Horford popped a three and just like very early offense. Yeah. That was bad. And then there was another three Horford hit when him and Tobias, Joel, that that's Joel and Tobias. They did not communicate on a late switch. And it, it just feels to me that the last couple of nights, the Sixers have looked pretty susceptible to getting smoked by these five out mm-hmm. lineups. And that's, that's not the greatest thing in the world when, you know, when they had James Harden and PJ Tucker, that made sense, right? They, uh, you know, the athleticism disadvantage that they had, you know, the, the lack of defense. When they're a little more athletic on the perimeter, I, I don't love that Boston is able to drive and kick them to death here. And, you know, it's funny. Boston got up a lot of threes in the game. Was that last week? Yeah. I'm losing. I'm losing. Uh, yeah, it was last week. Okay. I think it was exactly a week ago. Okay. So they uh, they got up a lot of threes in that game, but they felt like contested threes, a lot of them. You know, like Jason Tatum, step backs, all those things. I thought tonight... They no, got they whatever they wanted yeah. in driving kick. That was an ugly 18 of 50. Like that could have been probably a little bit worse. I think they got a little lucky with Sam Hauser on a couple of those plays. Of course, Horford is the one that makes those three. So yeah, like on, on both ends, like the Sixers have been really good during that eight game winning streak. Uh, tonight, they, they I thought they stunk really on both sides of the ball tonight. And yeah. it's uh, definitely a frustrating thing. Yeah, it was one of those where, what, what a Boston shoot, maybe 36% from three. Uh, it felt like one of those games where they could have shot 45% from three and this could have been a blowout because like you mentioned, I think a lot of those were pretty wide open. A lot of those in the hands of pretty good shooters. Um, if they, if Drew Holiday was on a little more and Drew Holiday looked real good to start this game. Uh, you know, he was too quick for Tobias, too big for Maxi, and it didn't seem like they had a real good line, uh, matchup for him. He missed a bunch of pretty open shots. Even Jason Tatum had a good night. He could have had a great night with some of the looks he was getting. I felt like the Sixers got lucky and still weren't able to come away with a uh, with a win here. I think the point, too, that Kelly Oubre in this matchup, he does hold up pretty well one-on-one. Yeah, and defensively is where I think Oubre has been the most consistent. Like, yeah, he would be great to get back in the lineup because he can attack off the dribble, specifically for his own shot. But just being able to put the ball on the deck is great to see with this group. And maybe that that lineup with Embiid would look a little more um, viable if you had just one more shot creator on the floor. But really, it's because he can match up with Tatum, with Brown if he is on the floor. Maybe not match up, you know, really hold his own. Certainly not going to shut him down, but he is at least in the same stratosphere, whereas a lot of times the Sixers, you're either too small or you're too... uh, 
too slow. And and I agree with the point that uh, that Brandon made in the uh, in the chat because you know there were a couple times Joel got lazy, and I just pointed those out. But for the most part, I think it's a perimeter issue where yeah yeah, yeah he is technically quote unquote over helping on those plays, but also like Jason Tatum's going to lay the ball in, and you know I think you saw late in the game. Boston hunted Tyrese Maxey pretty good, and that gave the Sixers a lot of issues. Players are getting a piece of the paint on pretty much every possession, and Joel has a choice. Like, do I let them lay the ball in, or do I try and block the shot? And Boston did an awesome job of driving and kicking. Obviously, Al Horford made a couple threes on those uh, on those plays. But early in the season, when Joel would go help, the perimeter guys would rotate. To those passes they would you know whether that was an off-ball player or a peel switch the guy who yep. got beat we're just not seeing that as much and i am a little bit worried about the nick nurse scheme and that it it really requires you to be completely on like ton of effort and your communication and your execution has to be at a really high level and i think the last couple of games we've seen when the sixers are, are poor on that end it, it can look pretty ugly yeah, and it looked real good at times at the beginning of the season. Uh, but you're right, when you're off, when the communication isn't there, when the effort isn't constant, when you're not being able to recover back, uh, it can it, it can look pretty bad. And I thought, like I said, tonight Boston got up 53s. I think this game could have been much, much worse. And it's it's a good point uh, coming up in the chat, Clement coming up in the chat, that they gave up 117 to a team without their second and third leading scorer. It could have been much more than 117. Like that could have been like a 130 spot. It felt like with the way the Sixers played defense. The difference in how they defended them last week versus tonight. Like last week they had Chris Tapps Porzingis, who's like one of the biggest mismatches in basketball. When when you have that guy who's able to shoot from 28 feet and you actually have to guard him out there. I, I thought the way the Sixers defended the Celtics last week was terrific. Man, they they, they did not have that matchup advantage tonight. And uh, yeah, you know, like look, that's the way it goes. Sometimes. You play well in the regular season. Sometimes you don't have a very good effort. But this this was not that. Can, can we talk about a few of the positive things? Sure. Uh, Rocco was great tonight. He was fantastic. He had two put-back dunks uh, in the first quarter. He only had seven dunks all year. Last year, um, not that that matters all that much. It was just a, a funny thing to see. But defensively, he was all over the place. Jumping passing lanes, getting his hands on, on, on driving and then stripping the ball handler. He was real good all around and it was a good Roku game without him even really making perimeter shots it was just a, a you know good movement off ball he made a hook shot he put the ball he had a baseline drive that I think there were at least two times that hook shot in the baseline drive that I said to Rich like he didn't have this five years ago and again that doesn't mean he is great at anything in terms of putting the ball on deck but he seems mildly more competent now which is nice to see um oh for five for Roku from three how yep. many games have we seen him shoot six of eight from two? Yeah, yeah. Dribbling and finishing are not exactly no. He, his like you mentioned, he was zero for five from three and had a good offensive game. It was wild. It was a very unroco like game. And, and I thought he did. You know, obviously he cannot guard Tatum one on one all that well, but he didn't get himself in bad position a lot of the night. I thought, like I thought he he really fought to deny the pass to Tatum early on, and you know, just get in passing lane. So Rocco, awesome. Second straight night that DeAnthony made threes and you yep. wasted it. It's uh, it's kind of a, a weird thing in this Sixer season where they go on this eight-game winning streak and DeAnthony is bad yep. pretty much every night. And then he makes – what did he shoot? He shot six for six from three last night? He Did he shoot 11 of 12 the last two nights and they wasted that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
Uh, but I mean, to the large, larger point, it is good to see him get back on track. You're going to need DeAnthony to be a three point shooter. And he has been good on both sides of the ball. The last two games, I will take that even if it comes in a losing performance, because you're going to need that down the line. And then the other guy, Jaden Springer. Yeah. Look, Nick nurse. Um, I think we're finally seeing if the honeymoon is still going on, the highest level of the honeymoon is, is over, right? Like we, when he has a bad game, we can criticize some of his bad decisions. Um, you know, he, he certainly seems to lean on veterans a little bit, which I feel like we just see with every single coach who rolls through here. I'm sorry. You have to play Jaden Springer more. Not only has Marcus Morris been bad, he's been good. Yeah. He does. It's like you said earlier in the, in the pod, he does positive shit. Like he defends his ass off. He makes the occasional open three too. Like he does not look unconfident from the corner and taking that shot. Like he drove Tatum on a closeout one play and finished yeah. over him too. I really love what I'm seeing from that kid. So he needs to play more. And look, does the game look like it's going a little faster for Jaden now than in the preseason? Yes. Like in the preseason, he looked confident putting the ball on the deck, he looked confident dribbling in traffic. He has not looked as confident or as decisive handling the ball in the half court as he did in the preseason for sure. But the defense is legitimate. You know, the, the defensive plays and the spark he gives you and the way it ignites you in transition, the rebounding is, I think, valuable. And like you mentioned, he will make an occasional shot. Like, that hasn't completely abandoned him. That is one aspect of his offensive game from the preseason that looks like it is transferring over, or at least the chance to in a regular season. Given your other options, which again, Patrick Beverly was awful. Marcus Morris, unplayable. At least until Ubre gets back, I think he has to be given a chance. Like you can't have it, let him have this game. And again, only nine points might not seem like a lot. When you add it all up, the nine points, two steals, two pick sixes, um, plus twenty in twenty minutes. Given your other options, I think you have to give him a chance to build off of this. For let, sure. Let me ask you another question: How are you changing the Embiid only backup units? Because because Kyle has been. Uh, very adamant about they need another ball handler. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's even when they were on an eight game winning streak, I felt like I've always said they need another ball handler and quite frankly, another pretty high level ball handler, not just like a borderline rotation backup point guard. Like I think they need another creator and people who can realistically create for their teammates tend to be pretty well thought of in this league and pretty tough to acquire. Um, But he just meant like another ball handler for the backup unit. The, the problem is, I don't really see who that is outside of Maxi or Tobias, and those guys are playing in the other minutes. So, like, like who is it? Is it is it Korkmaz? Because even even as much as I like Springer and I would want him to play. Oh, more, he's not a ball handler. Yeah, the yeah, one yeah. thing he's bad at is yep. dribbling, right? I mean, it's it's part of the reason why I don't think either of us sitting here saying Pat Bev can't be in a lineup because at the very least Pat Bev can advance the ball and get you across the timeline. It might be more cork. Uh, I, I, I don't know. There's not a good answer on the roster. The, the problem is, like, the way they had it set up was that Ubre was playing these minutes with, with Embiid, which, again, that's not like, uh, you know, the, the classic backup point yeah, yeah, guard yeah. by any means, but it was a guy with some ball handling juice. 
The real answer is a trade, yeah. but I think Daryl's going to wait until February because I don't think he wants to spend some of his assets now. TJ People would are be bringing great. up TJ. First of all, TJ is playing on a, a team that has a chance to be a top four seed in the East. Yeah. I don't think they're going to give him away. But even someone like TJ, I don't think Daryl's going to spend a small portion of his assets to acquire someone now when he still feels like he needs to make that big move in February. So I think any kind of real move of significance is going to wait for a couple of months here. People in the chat bringing up Turk, maybe. I, I mean, he had a great opener, and but I, I don't think Nick Nurse is going to throw a, a, you know, two way rookie out there. Oh, look, it would be scary to have a guy who weighs what does he weigh like one sixty five, one fifty? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. looks like he's one fifty. Yeah, very skinny player, but they do have to do something about it. Or like Nick Nurse is going to have to coach these guys up. They're going to have to get better shots. Is that going to be kind of point Embiid? I mean, there was one play. Do you remember? I think it was in the second quarter. Embiid, during that terrible stretch, he's just bringing the ball up so lazy. Yeah. And Derek White or Drew, one of those two, gets yeah. a back tap from out of nowhere. Like, and But it, it was, was, just, it was one was of those so things lazy. where it's like, yeah, it was very slow, very deliberate, very unaware of his surroundings. And where was the communication? Where was the rest of his teammates like yelling like, hey, watch behind you? Uh, it was maddening and a huge play. It felt like every one of those, whether it was that one, whether it was the one in the fourth quarter when he was trying to dribble in from the corner, every Embiid only had two turnovers, but it felt like both of them were pick sixes. Both of them were points. The, the one in the fourth quarter specifically was an and one for Tatum on the other end uh, and then followed by a Derek White three. And it seemed like that really is what broke the game open and ended the Sixers' chances. Um, they definitely, I'm, I'm, I, I love the fact that Embiid has the skill set to occasionally bring the ball up. Sure. But I feel like every time he tries to bring the ball up, he just pisses me off. Definitely way too much for going on. And it just doesn't get you into good positions for the most part. Like, yeah, there are times where I, I would like to see him bring the ball up and maybe, you know, one of the smaller guys set him a ball screen on the on the sideline. That was something they did under Doc from time to time. But it's just one of these things now where it, it's such a glaring weakness for this team. And trades don't happen that much at this point of the yeah. season, Derek. And I think it's been brought up in the chat, and I agree with this. Like, this player might not end up be playing in the playoffs, but how much of the bleeding are you willing to to deal with right now? Like, again, maybe you wake up tomorrow and you say, okay, take a step back, 8-3, and three, this team is very good still. Um, we'll see. Maybe you get Ubre back in a couple of weeks here. Um, but, yeah, it just feels like a glaring weakness for this crew right now, and I, I feel like... They, they might need to be proactive in, in one way or another and try and solve it. All right. Before we get to our next topic, a quick word from game time. And again, I still think the Sixers are going to, like there's going to be a lot of very exciting games at the Wells Fargo Center. I'm not changing that. You're going to want to get down there, get some tickets, get in on the action. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and a best-price guarantee, it means you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And with the GameTime guarantee, it means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest-growing ticking app in the country for a reason. With game time, you get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set with tickets sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. 
Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game, game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Also, one more quick note before we get back to the show. Uh, there will be a Black Friday sale over at phlylocker.com next week. Uh, we'll have more details on that in the coming days. But you've seen Kyle and I specifically wearing the hoodies all of the time. We'll have those hoodies and a bunch more on sale next week. So we've been looking to get some of our gear. Again, be on the lookout for that next week. What did you make of Maxi's performance? <sighs> he had that one stretch where it seemed like he got out in transition made a couple of threes, but it just seemed like he was very passive for, especially the first and the fourth quarter. That's where it really seemed like he just wasn't looking for his shot as much as you would want to see. I, I think his first bucket came with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. Yeah, it was, he, he did almost nothing in the first and almost nothing there at various stages in the second half. Really a second quarter is when he got going, but it was short lived. He never at any point seemed like he felt really comfortable. I don't know if that was a defense of white and holiday. Again, that's a, a duo that I think we've long pinpointed yeah. as a tough one for him. But he just didn't look nearly as aggressive as he has been for most of the season. Uh, Holiday and uh, and White, those guys. They're incredible. They're dogs, man. They're they're so good. And I think Drew in particular, like, this is something I remember. I saw a game, I think it was Kyrie Irving's rookie year, and it was Drew just sliding with him for, like, I think it was, like, 10 seconds. Kyrie just kept crossing over back and forth, and Drew was mirroring his dribble the whole time. He is just one of the most special on-ball defenders I've ever seen. I thought tonight a lot of the great work he did against Tyrese was denying him off the ball. You know, like they, they were trying to get maxi handoffs, yeah. and Drew was not letting him make uh, easy catches. I, I think the, the big issue with Tyrese is that you saw with Boston, you know, if, the, if they were switching off, it was going to be white. It was going to be holiday. There, there wasn't really much of a hunting spot except for, like, Sam Hauser, but – Unfortunately, Sam Hauser was guarding players like Cove, yep. players like Jaden Springer. Um, they were going after him extremely hard on the other end. And when we talk about Embiid overhelping, like that put the Sixers in rough situations. And I thought Boston did a, a really good job of just putting the Sixers in bad spots. There were yep. blown switches that, you know, sometimes the ball handler would turn the corner. Um, that's something the Sixers are going to have to deal with. Like it's, you know, part of the issue with Tyrese being your best player or one of your best players, which is a great thing, by the way. I'm, I'm very happy with him. I was going to say, that was a bold take by you there almost unintentionally when you said your best player. It was an accident. You corrected it right away. I was it, just kind of... It's true. Um, is that he's small. And, and you know, these teams with these apex predator wings like Jason Tatum and even these kind of bigger guards like Drew Holiday likes to post up, Derek White likes to post up, they're going to attack him and he's going to have to deal with... Um, with them game planning that way. Like I, I will say Nick nurse, I, I didn't love his offensive schemes quite as much tonight when Joe Missoula's scheme is just, just, just go hunt Maxi, just go set a screen on him and then play driving yeah. kick after it's over. It is, you know, life is a little bit easier for him. I would say, no, I think this was one of the, the, the times this year. And I think his Maxi's defense has been better this year. I think there's still moments where it is exploited. It felt like today was the one where the, uh, the opponent just exploited him pretty much all game. And it was a one game, not, not the one game, but one of the main games where he felt like a liability pretty much the entire time. Uh, and again, I think Maxi, for the most part, the effort is there. Uh, the size, sometimes the awareness and the communication is not. Uh, and I thought this felt a lot like the previous two years. Not so much what we had been seeing up to this point. How about that being his first technical foul of his career? It's crazy. Too? 
That's crazy. Like, That's I didn't remember one, but I also, if, if you asked me, has he gotten a tech before, I would have said absolutely. You almost have to after this many games. You don't play four years in the NBA and not get a technical. It's pretty wild. By the way, good sign, right? He's he's attacking. He's he's trying to draw fouls. Like, look, I don't want him to become a complainer and somebody yeah. who works the refs to an insane degree. But, you know, once in a while, it's probably pretty good to get a tech. Also, I think it's funny that Ed Malloy is the first one to tee him up, too. I think Ed yeah. Malloy, long-storied career, some controversial calls, some big games refed. That's uh, that's one he can hang up in the uh, in the basement of Tyrese Maxey's first tech. And I do think, and I, I know nobody listening to this wants to see a Sixers versus Celtics matchup in the playoffs. We've seen that movie before. It hasn't really turned out all that well. From a basketball standpoint, though, I would love to see Tyrese adjust and just have us coming into a series where you relied upon to be the uh, second scorer on the team, where you have a, a defense, um, an opponent that has elite perimeter defenders who's really good at denying you off the ball. How does Maxi adjust? And he's at the point in his career where he has so many different tools in his arsenal, whether it's on ball, off ball, pick and roll, dribble handoff. He can do so much. I would love to see, like, what's the learning experience he takes from this game. And I think the, the Sixers play the Celtics in a couple of weeks. They play three games in pretty short order. And then the Ridiculous. fourth one isn't until pretty late in the season. So we'll get a, see, a, a chance to sort of see how he reacts to this pretty quickly. But I think Tyrese is, you know, smart enough, dedicated enough, skilled enough. I expect him to come out and have a much better game. Even though it's a tough matchup, that will always be true. I expect to see a, a bounce back or at least an effort to change what he did uh, in a couple of weeks here. They also just really struggled to shoot at the rim. Then I, I felt like Tyrese missed some bunnies. Yeah, felt like Tobias missed some bunnies where, you know, like I, I was like, that's a good move. Like you got all the way to the cup. Like that's not bad, but they just didn't finish against what I thought was not like a, a crazy amount of rim protection, especially with Porzingis out of the game. Yep. Um, yeah. So look, I, I'm like, people in the chat, I get it. Embiid was probably the reason they lost tonight. We, we spent the first 10, 15 minutes killing him. We, we agree with you, but you know, there are a lot of issues that the Sixers have had the last couple of games. And honestly, it could be a good thing, right? Like, you know, yeah. everything was going right for them for a couple of weeks there. All right. You know, really tough back-to-back when you, you play a Pacers team that just runs the ball down your throat the entire game twice in a row. And then you have to play Boston the second night. That That's not easy. Rebound, kind of see where your weaknesses are, see where your strengths are. And, and the big thing for me is they just got to figure out those end beetles. And it's that just, they haven't been good enough. No, there are, are some things that are annoying about this game, but that are pretty tied to this game. There are some things that are concerning about this matchup, clearly. I mean, we I've, I don't think we got your pick before the season, but Kyle and I both picked the Celtics to win the Eastern Conference. And this is specifically a tough matchup for Maxi. And in, in the case of Horford, a tough matchup at times for Embiid, at least a tough one-on-one matchup for Embiid. And then there are some things that are just like short-term team-building concerns. And the lineups with Embiid are, I think, going to be something that we talk about constantly, almost every game, certainly every game that they lose, because it feels like that's going to be a significant part of every game that they struggle in. Uh, there's not, we just talked about it, there's not an easy solution, so I think that's going to get brought up a lot. That kind of stuff to me is more pressing than, um, you know, some of the bigger picture stuff, because I still think bigger picture, I mean, like this is a team that, like even their two losses here, they split against Indy. They split against Boston. They're eight and three. They came in with like, I think the third ranked offense and the sixth ranked defense and second league and net rating. I'm not going to sit here. It would probably be better for our numbers 
and better for our exposure if I sit here and lost my freaking mind and told you that they suck and that this was proof that they're frauds. That's not the way I've chosen to cover sports. That's not sort of how we built our career. You're not I doing think the James Harden rant. I'm not going to go on the rant. Although I, I don't think that was necessarily undeserved, but that's he a different was, topic. That guy was spitting. I he, don't know why they, they took that down. He, he woke up and he said, I'm going to get myself on, uh, on, on TVs across the country. And he succeeded. A little thirsty. I agree. <laughs> but like, I think we can sit here and say that's a bad game. That's a bad game from Embiid. There are some things we can take away from it that are concerning. But overall, there's still... I'm okay. I'm okay. You're going to you're going to have uh, points throughout the season that you are very very frustrated. This is one of them. That's fine. Yeah. I I I'm with you. Um let's see anything else here. Uh yeah, it is kind of ironic that Melton makes five of six threes in this game. If they go in at the end of game 6, I mean, what, what do you think that timeline is like? Is, is, oh, it's completely different. We've talked James, about this so many times. Is James Harden uh, partying down Broad Street and getting a, a huge contract if that happens. So you're saying it was a good good thing that Melton missed those shots. Anyway, anyway, we've got Kyle here joining us from Wells Fargo. Before that, I'm going to make Kyle sit here through our last ad read of the night. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it being football and tailgating season, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game, FOCO has. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off. All right, I think we have Kyle checking in here from the FARG. I like how the team calls it the center and we call it the Farg. That's fine. Whatever. They do it for, for money reasons. We do I'd it prefer to call it reasons. neither. It's just a better you know, name. It's, it's just a better name. It's a matter of opinion. <laughs> how you doing, Kyle? Uh, I'm hanging in there, doing better than I think the Sixers did, certainly than the bench units without Tyrese Maxey did tonight. Well, you showed up, which is more than m- most of those bench players uh, could say for the game, but we'll get to that in a second. I guess, do you have any kind of update on... You know, obviously there's a lot of talk about Kelly and the reporting around that and what the police know. I think we probably have to, because you were at the, the pregame press conference, start off there. What are you hearing about Kelly Oubre and the latest developments in that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's a certain degree to which the team is just waiting on Philadelphia police, which I'm not going to fire any shots here, but it, it could take a while. We don't know what's going on. I, I told members of our Discord earlier today that I had spoken to, and this word was used during the pregame presser, a law enforcement source with air quotes around it. And I think the simplest explanation here is the likeliest one that they don't have good footage yet. It does not mean that there is no footage that exists of this incident. It does not mean that Kelly Oubre was out karate kicking people and assaulting people. I mean, like, here's my problem with what By happened way, today you mentioned that that doesn't mean that no good footage exists it might also mean that no footage exists like i brought this up beforehand Correct. Like my car was parked in a business parking lot a couple weeks ago and was broken into there's no footage of it that doesn't mean it didn't happen that doesn't mean i'm making anything up it just means there's no footage of the act uh there just might not be any use like you said any usable footage that doesn't mean we have to jump to every conclusion yeah and look i think the word on 
Twitter that was thrown around or the phrase was, I believe it was domestic assault. There was somebody claiming they had sources saying Ubre was involved in that sort of incident. I think, and this is my speculation here, I think part of why TMZ ended up with a ring camera video from Kelly Oubre's apartment tonight is because Kelly Oubre and his wife probably did not appreciate that something was using those murky terms and like, oh, we don't know what happened with Kelly Oubre and like kind of casting aspersions at him. Like for what we know right now, or what I assume, because I'm taking Kelly at his word, the guy got hit by a fucking car and people are acting like he's got this like loaded motivation to do something other than to say what happened. I think probably the simplest explanation is that he was a bit bewildered. He doesn't really know where he is because he's a new resident of the city and the story is a bit muddy. But I don't it, from what I can tell, nobody thinks something insidious is happening here, except for maybe some other reporters who like to do grandstanding in front of a podium. Yeah. And from what I understand, he didn't even like it's uh, after he was struck, he didn't necessarily call the police right away. It happened a little bit after the fact. And he it, it would certainly be understandable that he was in a little bit of shock. I think if I probably got hit while walking down the street, I'd be in a little bit of shock too. I don't know if my recall would be 100, especially in a new city. Place me in San Antonio. I probably have a shitty time trying to describe where I'm at. Well, just, you just call on Charles Barkley for that one and tell you to look for all the uh, the big women. All the cows? There. The big woman, as he always says. Um, well, I appreciate you guys talking about that so I didn't have to. To be clear, when I said cows there, I meant literal cows. It was amazing when I went down to San Antonio to cover one game. I just Derek's clarify fat that. shaming. Derek's <laughs> fat they, shaming. No, no, no. We're canceled. But they had, uh, they had, they had like, do not, like, they had all kinds of, like, watch out for cow sign right outside of the uh, arena. It was amazing. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm good. Uh, okay, so enough on Kelly Oubre. Um, okay, so I, I guess a little bit uh, to transition it, to it on the court, they, they were playing him with Embiid on those backup units for a while, and that was kind of their quote-unquote ball handler, even though we know like Kelly Oubre is not your classic point guard. He's not really even you know kind of your big wing initiator. Kyle, what the hell are they going to do? They don't have anybody else who can dribble when they, they play uh, Embiid by himself uh, with those backup units. Yeah, I mean, look, they got to trade for somebody. And this is not a, it's not necessarily at the point yet where we have to sit here and be like, well, they got to get Zach Levine or they got to get, you know, star creator X. But they're going to have to get someone like a Monte Morris, a, a Tyus Jones, I guess, on the high end, just somebody who can be like a caretaker of second units. Because I think we can all see that Pat Bev is not that guy. And frankly, Pat Bev playing over Jaden Springer for various reasons. It's just nonsensical at this point. I'm sure you guys have talked about it a lot on the show. I think I saw a tweet from Rich at one point. Marcus Morris, just like, what are you doing out there, buddy? It's a just absolute zero on both ends of the floor right now. And I know it hurts to not have Kelly and to not have Nico. Those are two big losses, both for starting and backup groups, but Joel, to some extent, is getting hung out to dry right now. You can't leave him out there on the floor with nobody who can dribble. When the best ball handler at any given time in most of these lineups is DeAnthony Melton, and Melton, in a lot of cases, is getting subbed out late in the first anyway, that is a huge goddamn problem. Yeah. And so I, I think this is a roster addition type thing because even if Kelly comes back in fairly short order – 
to your point, Rich, he's not a primary initiator. He's a guy that's okay as a secondary type guy. He can create something in a pinch, and you don't want to put too much responsibility in his hands, right? You want him to be kind of that he is playing off of other guys. So I, I think they desperately need to make an addition there. He's a guy who knows how to throw the ball at the hardwood and catch it more <laughs> yes. than three times in a row, which is what the bar is, right? <laughs> yeah, that's about all of the throwing he does, though. He doesn't, anyway, it doesn't matter. They definitely need more ball handling. I guess the follow-up question there is, do you think they will actually act on that in the coming weeks, or is that a longer-term thing? So this is something that they could probably solve quickly if they wanted to. I think Daryl historically has been more of a wait and see, wait and see, let things play out a little bit type guy. Now, whether you're going to do that with this is Papev is a known quantity, right? This is not some up and coming player. You're trying to let him work through the kinks. This is a, a lot of veteran mid thirties type players on the second unit with Joel and without Maxi. And if, the idea is to wait it out in terms of the big move, big potential move toward the deadline where you're going after a wing or maybe the star guard, star forward just like falls out of the sky that's not available right now. You need an innings eater type player to get you there, I think. I don't think this is a good enough plan what they're going with right now. So what I would do is make a move in the next you know month or so. What Daryl will do is probably wait it out a bit longer if his history is anything to go off of. Is there anything you would do just within the roster? Like, let's say they don't make a trade. Is there any sort of juggling they can do? Because um, I was like, maybe play Cork because he can dribble. Like, I, it's really pretty bad, man. And honestly, Jaden Springer should get more of those minutes, but his worst thing is ball handling. So they are like so deficient in that area. I, I don't really know what they're going to do here. Yeah. I mean, I think you can get away with a little bit of point FERC against the bullshit teams yeah. of the league. You can't play that way against, you know, the Boston's, I guess Milwaukee, you could now cause they don't defend anybody, no. but I'd say most of the good teams in the league, you're not going to get away with it. So, I mean, do you have to adjust the sub patterns just to make sure Melton is on the floor for every one of those minutes? And are you getting good Melton? Like, I, I think it's a shame, honestly, that they've wasted his two best games of the season, the last two games, and shooting the ball well and seems to have found some pull-up confidence as a result of that. That's a pretty big deal for him and the team because they don't have other guys outside of Maxi with real pull-up equity. But, yeah, I mean, it, when your best solution is – play Ferk at point or just take Pat Bev out to play Jaden Springer who can't really dribble. I don't th think those are actual solutions. So, so you wrote that just Joel wasn't good enough tonight. Completely agree with you. If you had to pick one thing that stood out, like the, the one area of the court or the game that was most disappointing to you in these, uh, in these games, what would that be? Well, so defensively, I hated everything they did as a group that allowed <laughs> Al Horford to to get loose tonight. I will say this for Joel's performance tonight, because this was really, and this has driven me nuts for a while. It drove me nuts under Doc. Still driving me crazy now. The fact that they're still going to this, like, hey, just let's Joel just post up against Al type offense. I don't know if they've watched Al Horford tape for like the last three years. That's not the way you beat him. It's certainly not the way that Joel beats him. When they've hammered Horford, both in the playoffs and the regular season, 
It's putting that guy in space and making him defend smaller, quicker defenders. Now, I understand, or smaller, quicker players. I understand it's harder when the Celtics are sometimes throwing two on the ball at Maxi and they're slowing him down that way. They've got Drew Holiday and Derek White. But for the plan to essentially be, hey, Joel, just beat him through a post-up or get through a double team, that's just not fucking good enough anymore, right? Like uh, Al knows all of Joel's tricks. He doesn't bite on all the jab steps, all the pump fakes, all the feints that he's doing, trying to draw fouls. You have to get him moving side to side and have him chase around guys because, like, Al is old. Like, he's still strong, and Joel doesn't move him a lot, so he settles for a lot of these long twos. But if you can get him in space and make him defend a switch, he cannot keep up with real ball handlers like Tyrese Maxey anymore. And honestly, first possession, I think, of the second half, they ran a pick and roll, hit Joel at the elbow. He hits a fucking free throw line jumper. And I don't think he took another one of those type of jumpers the rest of the game. So I, there's just way too – they're letting Al Horford off the hook with this like static offense around Joel, and I'm just tired of watching it. So I know you've been a big proponent that we have to take all the Super Chats that we get. It looks like we may have just gotten one from a Boston fan. What's your verdict on that? Their money's still good here, I guess. Uh, is that our version of Michael Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers too? Or you know, <laughs> how do we want to handle that? I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Like it's, it seems like he might be trying to gloat a little bit and get us to read it on air. Is that worth the five dollar? I guess I guess we have a price, huh? I guess we have a price. Well, so <laughs> what is it? I got to hear it now. You're doing all this teasing of the super chat. All right. Like so a- it is. No strays ENT. In 2017, the Sixers had a number one pick and selected Markel Fultz over Jason Tatum. Tonight, Tatum took the number one seed from them. No question, just well, a statement. Congratulations on the number, on the number one, one seed, seed on in November 15th. Yeah. He's taking a lot more <laughs> important things from that. Yeah, yeah. How about game seven? Like That's the one that I'd be throwing in there. Yeah, yeah really, if you want to trash year. talk, there's there are a lot more sore spots than a November 15th <laughs> loss yep. where... Just sure. are on a fucking back to back, whatever. This is nothing in the Jason Tatum file. No, no. Um, did uh, did they did did Nick explain? Because I think one thing that blew me away is after that first quarter with Morris, he went back to him in the third. Did Nick talk about that decision at all? Not really. I mean, he kind of alluded to it by saying, you know, they're still trying to figure some things out right now. They're obviously down. They're I've got something two to do of their best. Yeah, I mean, listen, we all know he can't play at this point, but I think just being down those top two guys, I think he's got to just lean into small ball, right? Like you, you play Jaden and you say, I don't, who really cares? Nobody's playing true, quote unquote, power forwards anymore anyway. Maybe there are some teams that the size hurts you, but not a whole lot of teams playing like the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, yeah, whether Kelly and Nico are available or not, I, I just – do not want to see Marcus Morris anymore. I'm sure that's unanimous amongst this group. For sure. Kyle, was there any thought of, of sitting Embiid tonight, you know, with that kind of crazy Indiana team, two games in a row, running him up and down the court? Um, I know it was a game-time decision, but did it feel like to you kind of all, all day that he was going to play in this game? I thought it was 50-50. I will say we talked with Joe after the game about how much the hip was bothering him, and he said – as he always does, he lays out the excuse and then says, but there's no excuses. But he said <laughs> he he has not been moving as well defensively and that it's impacted him there. Like that's where he feels it the most. And 
certainly after watching Al Horford bomb threes over his head the entire second half that I lend some credence to that idea. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think if he is hurting that much that he can't move defensively, I'm of the mind that he shouldn't play. Like I, I think you, you guys have watched him as closely as I have for years. Joe, when he is like in his own head about whether it's fatigue or an injury or whatever, I'd rather just sit his ass on the bench and, and use the guys, Paul Reed, even, I can't believe I'm saying this, even like Mo Bamba, give him like 10 minutes or whatever. Just listen, I know. I, I, I can't fell off but, my damn chair there. That, listen, I'm not saying that he would have been better. I'm just saying that I would rather give guys chances that are like raring to go rather than half engaged Joel. Like I, I thought it took him way too long to get into that game tonight. And by that point, they'd already dug a 15 point hole that the rest of his teammates had to dig him out of. So I, we'll see moving forward. But he said it's not enough of a a big deal to not play. All right. I think uh, I think that's probably all I have for you, Kyle. Get the, get the heck out of there so we can talk to you. I don't want to say bright and early, but it feels like not too far from now at 2 p.m. tomorrow for our next show. And uh, thanks for jumping on. Yes, yeah, start figuring out what we're going to talk about tomorrow. That's, That's not true. complete misery, Derek. That's true. Uh, we will come up with a, if you have a positive topic, drop it in the chat. Maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow. But thanks again, Kyle. See you guys. All right. I'm not sure I have too much here to add on to what we've already talked about. Do you have, you seem like you might have something else you want to bring up real quickly. No, I, I just think, you know, a, a little bit tonight we saw Maxi being the top option against one of these great teams. Like, do you remember last season in the first three games against Boston? He was terrible. Like, mm-hmm. he, he was not scoring against Derek White, and much less was expected of him last year. So for him to be imperfect, you know, I saw a lot of people in the chat say that, like, he needed to bring the ball up because he couldn't get it, um, you know, when they were running him off the of screens. Maybe that's the case moving forward. But yeah. I, I, I think the positive that I take from this game, also, I, we should shout out B-Ball Paul, one of the worst passes I've ever seen in my life. Tonight. Yes. But he's pretty well. was legitimately cackling for like two st- straight minutes. It was a really, really, like, he, I, who was he throwing it to? I forget who was in the it corner. Was to the corner. Tobias? Was it Tobias? And he, and he threw it to the guy who was defending in the dunker yeah. spot. It was, it was, <laughs> yes. that's it. Really good couple of uh, Paul Reed nights. I, I, I really like how he is playing, activity, all of those things. But I guess my, my silver lining is that, like, Maxi is getting reps as the top guy. And obviously it's not always going to be smooth. He's going to run into Drew Holiday and Derek White some nights. It's going to be imperfect. He's not going to be able to get the ball. That's okay. I, I think he does need to learn what it's like to be a top perimeter option. And, you know, hopefully he can learn from this. And the next time he sees these guys, which is just going to be in a couple of weeks, as you said, Derek, it's a very weird schedule where they play these guys three times yeah. basically before the first week of December. Um, and hopefully he'll be better for it. No, I think it's a great point. And we're only two games away from Maxi dropping 50 and being the talk of the town. And quite frankly, the talk of the NBA, or at least one of the talks of the NBA. Two games later, and it seems like there is a lot of negativity. I think overall, give him a three to four month stretch where he is running the team. I think it'll be great, not only for his development, but also for our evaluation. Then we can make the most informed decision when we're not reacting to one bad game or one tough matchup in the middle of November in what is a long season. Do I think they're going to need more ball handling? Yeah, I think they're going to need more ball handling and shot creators no matter what. Even if Tyrese Maxey continues to play at an all-NBA level play, I think they need one more decently high level 
uh, creator. That might not be like a, a number one A or a number two option. That might be even someone maybe like a Gordon Hayward, but I think they're going to need somebody else that can play both on and off ball. The question is, are you going to prioritize that over some other potential needs, maybe a more two-way player? A lot of that's going to come down to how uh, how well young young Tyrese handles the role over the next couple months. It's but great- they're, they're definitely going to need something more. It's just what does that exactly look like? It's a great point. This is a learning process both for Tyrese and the coaching staff, how to use him in these games, and it also should be a learning process for Daryl Morey just trying to figure out what exactly this team needs with all of these draft picks and uh, expiring contracts that they now have on the books. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you again soon. And thank you to everyone in the chat. We appreciate each and every one of you, including maybe the Boston fan. Not really. Not really. But thanks, everybody. See ya. Thank you.